Today is Deaf Awareness Sunday, and in the deaf community, this is how you offer praise and thanks. I want to thank Edwin Kelly for directing the signers today with the Gospel Ensemble. And the next piece you'll hear shortly will also be done in sign language. And we'll have a chance to, again, extend our love to the deaf community. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much that this morning you have called each of us to look into the well, that still place, that calm place, that reflective place, and in the depths of those waters to see you and to see your call to us. You have fed us from your own table this morning, and you've prepared our hearts, and now we ask that you would feed us from your word. And then give us that charge to take the love that we've found here, the living water that we've found here, and share it with the broader community. We give you thanks. Amen. Today's scripture is the scripture of the Good Samaritan, and it's a scripture that has been preached so many times. It's a scripture that many of us heard in Sunday school that, in a sense, it's lost its radical impact. In too many cases, this story of the Good Samaritan has become a simple morality tale of how we're really supposed to care for each other. It's also been used to guilt trip us. We oftentimes are forced to see ourselves in the priest or the Levite walking by. And so we hear this story and we get a little ouchy from it and then we move on with our life. The reality is that when Jesus told this story, he was telling more than a simple morality tale. And Jesus wasn't trying to guilt trip us. Instead, when Jesus told this story, he was trying to create a radical shift in our thinking. In fact, when Jesus told this story, he was trying to create a whole new spiritual vision of what the world could be like. When Jesus told this story, he was calling his listeners back to the truest self, calling them back to the spiritual vision of a living community inside of themselves that called them to live life in a radically new way. In a sense, this is a story that describes the spiritual DNA the deepest call that God has given each of us. In a powerful way, it becomes a vision for Christian living and a vision for our church. A Sunday school teacher was telling this story to her class, and she went into vivid detail about the blood and the gore, and she was trying to help the children imagine what this story was about. And then she asked the question, after going into all this graphic detail, what would you do if you saw someone bleeding and beaten up, lying along the side of the road? And she expected the children to come back with the usual answers of how they would be the one to help and the one to care. But instead, the story had been told in such graphic detail that the kids were sitting there with their eyes wide open and these shocked looks on their faces. And finally, one little girl, when she was asked that question, what would you do if you saw someone bleeding beside the road? She just said, I think I'd throw up. <laughs> Probably a little more real than many of us would like to admit. Well, how do we respond 
when we see someone beaten up and left for half dead. What is our response? We probably wouldn't throw up, but we might look away. We might not look at the deepest need that's there. This is a radical new calling that Jesus is extending here. A call to look at the need when we'd rather just not even make eye contact. A call to go further in relating to our community as a congregation. A call to move out of our protective cocoons and become a congregation that flings open the doors to ministry and to life. Today we're looking at our congregational identity, and I pray that our truest identity would be an identity of compassion. I pray that our truest identity would be one of reaching out in new ways, not looking away, but looking deeper. And this is what happens in this story. The Samaritan in this story truly flings open the doors of his heart. He does it in a couple of ways. First of all, he flings open the doors of his heart with extravagant love. Here's where you have to really look at the original languages to see what's really going on here. When the Samaritan ministers to the one left half dead along the road, he is truly not giving from his extra, but from his substance. He's not just giving spare change. He's giving of his deepest self. First of all, the oil that's used in this scripture was not just typical cooking oil. This was the most expensive oil available in that time. It was an oil that drove the economy of the Roman Empire. It was hard to come by. And yet in this scripture, the good Samaritan takes his very best and offers it. Furthermore, he gives an amazing amount of money to ensure that the care that needs to happen really happens. Our equivalent would be $500 to $1,000 is what he offered. And beyond that, he said, whatever else care is needed, I will offer that. If you look at the original language, you will also see that the inn that the Samaritan puts the wounded man in is not just an ordinary inn. The inn where Mary and Joseph were when Jesus was born was a very modest inn. But the inn where the Samaritan puts the wounded man would be the equivalent of a Ritz-Carlton. When you look at the original language, it was the nicest inn available at that time with a full staff, full support. It wasn't just love that was being offered here. It was extravagant love. It was his very best coming from inside of him. What's our call in this when we look at our congregational identity? Our call is to give of our best, to be extravagant in how we minister to our community. Whatever event we do to publicize ourselves to the community to reach out, we are called to give it our best, be it the Gay Pride Parade 
or be at a wonderful event like the recent casino night where we had an amazing time. What was amazing about that was it was done extravagantly. It was done well. It's flinging open the doors to the best that God has for us. So it was an extravagant love. It was also a risky love. One thing that comes clear as we look at this scripture is that Jesus chose the most dangerous location possible for that particular time. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho drops about 2,500 feet. It's a rocky and desolate area. I saw this just this past February, and it's, it's a very desolate. You, you can almost feel that sense of danger even passing through there today. This was an area that was so dangerous that professional robbers actually set themselves up along the road. It was easy to be victimized. Part of what Jesus is saying by using this kind of context is you are called to continue to love no matter how dangerous the world around you may seem. Now, when Sunday school teachers and others have taught this passage, they've often said that the Levite and the priest were too busy. They had other things to do. The reality is they probably wanted to help, but they were afraid to. They saw a man lying beaten along the side of the road, and they figured the same thing would happen to them. Martin Luther King Jr. used this scripture for his last sermon, and he looks at the risk that is evident in this passage. Martin Luther King Jr. told the story of the Good Samaritan during his last sermon the night before he was assassinated. With this story, King gave a challenge to overcome fear and live with a dangerous unselfishness. King believed the first two who passed by could tell the man was injured. They probably wanted to help him. Yet because of the dangerousness of the region, they were afraid of their own lives. They figured the robbers were still around, getting ready for their next victim. And so the first two who passed by thought to themselves, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The Samaritan reversed the question. He showed a risky unselfishness by asking, If I do not stop to help, what will happen to him? That's the right question. We live in a world that says, lock your door. Set your alarm. Protect yourself. Hold on to your energy. Keep your resources. And yet in this scripture, Jesus is saying, fling open the door. Fling open the door with love and compassion. As we've looked at this scripture, the question that's often asked is, who is my neighbor? I think there's another question lurking within this scripture, and that is, who is the Good Samaritan? The truth is, it's oftentimes the Good Samaritan who ends up alongside the road. If we're too quick to see somebody else as that one wounded, we may not see that oftentimes we end up along the road. Oftentimes, even as we seek to offer our best and to do our best. The call of this scripture is to see ourselves in all the characters 
and from there to discover our truest identity, to offer ministry to a community so hungry for love, compassion, and a few real people. As we minister to each other, we will find that we don't have to hoard our resources because all the resource that we need is inside of us. A couple of hikers had a base camp, and every day they would set off in different directions to enjoy this wilderness area. One day, these two hikers had gone a particularly long distance, and while they were away from their base camp, bad weather started to set in. It started to get late in the day. The temperature started dropping rapidly. They knew that if they did not get back to their camp, that they could freeze to death out there. As they were heading back to their base camp, they heard some cries coming from a ravine below them. And when they looked down, they saw that another hiker had slipped and was about 20 feet down in this ravine, needing help. They calculated the risk. They figured that by the time they got down there and lifted this hiker back up to the trail, that it would already be dark, and potentially all three of them would end up freezing to death. They got into a discussion about whether they should help or not. One of the hikers said, you know, I've got a family. I've got to get back. And on his own, he set back to the base camp. The other hiker was determined to do whatever it took to help the person in the ravine. So he worked his way down there, and he got to the injured person and kind of put him over his shoulders, and they just worked their way back up to the trail. It was a long ordeal. It did get dark. The weather got colder. But they continued to struggle their way back to the camp. As they were heading back, they stumbled over something. It turned out that the one who had set out on his own didn't make it back and had frozen to death. But the one that had stopped to help, the warmth of the two bodies struggling together kept them alive, kept them from freezing, got them back to the base camp. Our call as a congregation is to find warmth in the struggle, to realize that when we save others, we indeed save ourselves. And God is with us in the journey. I think we're called to take it one better in this, than the Scripture. In the Scripture, the Good Samaritan takes the wounded one to a hotel and pays for that care. I think we are called to take it even further, to not just ensure that someone is cared for somewhere else, but to actually take them into our home this home, Resurrection MCC, a place where we share the warmth, where we ignite that strength that's inside each one of us, beyond compassion to true wholeness. If you're comfortable, take the hand of someone nearby as we go to our God in prayer. God, we give you thanks for loving us with the fullness of your grace and with your wholeness. Amen.